Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Luke chapter 4. We're going to finish up this chapter. Uh, we're going to begin in uh, verse 31. Uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, beginning in uh, verse 31. This is uh, immediately after Jesus left uh, Nazareth. That's what we looked at last week as uh, he preached in the synagogue and was driven out uh, because the people uh, could not believe by faith that he was the fulfillment of all the promises of Israel, that he uh, was the one that was here to preach the coming, uh, or that the kingdom has come in Christ. Uh, so look at verse 31 with me, Luke chapter 4, verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. In the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and served them. Now when the sun was setting... All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues in Judea. Well, let's pray. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, you give us wisdom that this text would set Christ gloriously before our eyes, that we might choose him to reign in our hearts. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The title of this message whose kingdom will reign, mine 
or his is really the question I'm going to leave you with today. Uh, The goal of this message is, in a sense, to look at this narrative, to look at Christ at work, and I essentially want to say, look at him, look at his authority, look at his power, look at his dominion, whose kingdom are you going to submit to? Who is going to be king of your life? I want to set Christ in front of you and have you ponder his glory and then consider your life. Moment by moment, Monday through Sunday, every day, the intricate details of your life, I want you to consider what this Christ can do in your heart. Every moment of your life can be funneled down and understood by this simple question. Hang on one sec, I got to get my timer going. Every moment of your life, I think, can be funneled down and understood by this simple question. Whose kingdom will you submit to, find hope in, and be defined by, yours or his? Every thought, every affection, every choice, every action funnels down to this. Consider with me for a moment. Will a husband lead his wife and children with a self-sacrificial love that considers their lives more important than himself, even if they disrespect him? Will a wife respectfully submit to and love her husband, even when he's not leading well or obeying the word? Will a child, a son or daughter, honor their father or mother even when they're not parenting well or parenting fairly? Listen to me, young people. What king you see today will determine how you relate to your parents. It's that practical. Will an employee at work work hard for and show honor and respect to their superior who has lorded their position over them unfairly and selfishly? Do you feel any tension there? In all these scenarios, the individual, the husband, the wife, the children, the employee, have been unfairly treated and offended. Have they not? And if they are kings or queens of their own kingdom in their own heart, then high treason has taken place. And royal retribution and punishment is called for. A king or queen does not remain a king or queen of their kingdom by batting an eye at rebellion. Correct? All these movies about kingdoms and kings and queens, the kings have to fight for their throne. They don't just sit on it and everything go well. 
When, when they're offended, when there's someone committing treason, they need to be dealt with. And so we feel tension when we're on the throne of our own hearts when people offend us. We can't love. We got to respond with vengeance if our kingdom is gonna stand. The determinative factor as to how you respond to these questions, husbands, wives, children, employees, will be determined by whether or not you choose to live in light of Christ's kingdom or your kingdom. Paul Tripp just tweeted this out yesterday. Today, your actions and words will be shaped by a heart ruled by the creator or shaped by a heart controlled by something in creation. Which will it be for you? Today, we're going to consider the kingdom of God. We're going to consider the king showing up on this earth. And I hope you see how practical this is. Because if you don't see a king throughout the week that isn't you on the throne of your heart, you will just defend your kingdom all week long and look like every other usurper out there. Every other sinner that's in rebellion against God's throne. So today we're going to consider the kingdom of God. Let's ask the question, what is it? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's sovereign, kingly reign, and not merely a realm. The kingdom of God is not merely a realm of God's rule, but it is his reign. Psalm 103.19 says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. His reign rules over all. That's why in Luke 18, verse 29, Jesus says to Peter, he says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time in the time age to come eternal life. He's saying anyone who's left the reign of family for the reign of Christ will surely have many more mothers and brothers and sisters and blessing in this time and the age to come. It's his rule. But when the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God, it gets confusing because the Gospels lay it out to us as it's here, it sh has shown up in Christ, but it's not yet. It's already, it's not yet, it's present, yet it's future. It's present in that Christ comes to defeat sin so that he can reign in your hearts today and future when he does away with all the effects of sin. You and I die because of sin. He can be on your 
thrown in your heart today and you're still dying. And so one day, we know that the effects of sin will be done away with. Satan will be ultimately destroyed and he'll create a new heavens and a new earth where we will live in the kingdom of God unlike we live in the kingdom of God right now. We live under Christ's reign now, but we're waiting for the kingdom, right? That's why later on in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say to the Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. It's not here yet. He doesn't say, thank you, your kingdom's here. He says, pray, your kingdom come. Later in the same chapter, Luke 11, verse 19, he says this. He's being accused of casting out demons by the power of Satan. And he says, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see that? That's already the beginning of chapter 11. He says, pray for it to come. But if I'm casting out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is upon you. What he's arguing there, uh, he goes on to say, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are safe. I got a lot of treasure back here. I have guards, I'm strong, I'm ready to fight and defend it. But when a stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he is trusted and he divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Here's what he says. He says, I'm here. I'm casting out demons. I'm plundering his kingdom. I'm getting men's hearts. I'm here. The kingdom of God is upon you. I'm doing this. And if you're not with me, if you think I'm doing this by the power of Satan, then you're on the other side. That's what he's saying there. It's already, but it's not yet. Mark 1.15 says this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's already here. Listen to Hebrews 2.7. You made him who for a little while, or you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him, he's a king, with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection under his feet, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. He's crowned. Everything is in subjection under Christ. It's the kingdom of God is present, but the consummation of the kingdom is in the future. That's just a little bit on understanding uh, about the kingdom of God in, in Christ's sovereign rule that shows up when his ministry begins. Uh, this, is, this is where the earth starts to see it uh, take place. So, if you look at your notes... 
my prayer is that you all find your hope and purpose in, in King Jesus. That's all-encompassing statement. I want you to find your hope, all of your security, all the answer for your anxiety. I want you to find it in a king. In Christ Jesus, he's going to be put on display, and you're going to have to decide, is he worthy to follow? To find your hope and purpose in him. Will you find your identity in light of King Jesus? And as we go throughout this text, it's not just going to be like point one in your notes, Noah's kingdom authority. Point two, they're not going to come chronological. I just want you to see those three aspects. His kingdom authority in his preaching and in his action. You're going to see his kingdom power and that he doesn't just say stuff, but he does stuff. He backs up his word. And I want you to know his kingdom dominion. We'll see at the end of this text how Christ came to spread this good news, this preaching of the kingdom of God, the preaching of the gospel to other places. So let's enter the narrative, consider this Christ. Now, the first thing I want you to look at, look at Luke 4, starting in verse 42 and 43. We're going to start at the end. Just for a moment. Actually, look at verse 43. He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. You could ask me, Sam, how do you know this is a kingdom of God text? The only time it comes up is in verse 43, because he says, as well. This is what Christ proclaimed in Nazareth, the kingdom of God. This is what he's proclaiming in this text. And he says, I need to go to other places and proclaim this. I can't just stay here. I came for this purpose, for this dominion to spread, for others to hear the good news. All right. So turn back to verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. They weren't used to this. They weren't used to someone speaking with authority. They were used to hearing maybe good orators, people who could speak well, but not with authority. You see, Jesus uh, wasn't uh, just talking about the way things may be, but he was talking about the way things are. He wasn't just talking about who he may be, but he was talking about who he is. He's not saying, well, it could be this time, as you and I do when we try to figure out the end times. Well, it could be this, it could be that. He's saying, no, the kingdom is here. That's what he did in Nazareth. 
That's how he preached, and people were astonished. This is different. He's not just wondering, he's proclaiming. He's saying, this is the way it is. Back in Luke 4.18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled out the scroll, scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You hear the authority? He's telling them how it is. And then he exposed their hearts. He showed them what their sins are. He showed them to be like their rebellious fathers who didn't have faith. He wasn't saying you might be. He was revealing to them that they were rebellious like his, like their fathers. His authority, though, was not limited to his teaching. To speak with authority but to lack the character and authority itself is to be a pretender, a manipulator, a charlatan. Uh, here's the definition of a charlatan according to the Webster Dictionary. A person who falsely claims to have a special knowledge or skill, he's a fraud. We have all sorts of people in our culture today that speak with authority and say, this is how it is. Just turn on the news stations. The problem is, is how they say it is, it isn't. And what they said last week, they don't have to be accountable for because they're here standing today saying, now I authoritatively say this. But Jesus didn't just speak with authority. Look at verse 33, and in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, and in the Greek, it means he screamed at the top of his voice. This is a disruption in the synagogue service. It would send shrills up your spine if someone cried out like this today. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now we're going to see in a moment, he casts this demon out. His preaching with authority was backed up with power to prove his authority even over the most powerful spirits on the earth. Martin Luther knows what you and I don't probably know. If you would have been looking carefully at that song. He said, there is no equal to Satan on this earth. Devils fill this earth, and if you are on your own without a king, you're in big trouble. We don't think about the power of the demons and Satan. If you don't know who they are, or about their power, then you might not think this is a big deal when the king tells them to shut up and come out. So I just want to take a moment. I hesitated to do this because I hate breaking up a narrative, but we're going to encounter demons throughout Luke. 
And I want us to have a good understanding about what the Scripture says uh, about them. In Jude 8, and, and I, I also want to say, you might think of demons as chaotic or insane. Whenever the demons speak, they make sense. They, they, they always make sense. In fact, they know who Jesus is. And in Acts 19.15, a, a demon speaks out and says, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? People are trying to cast out demons that don't have the power of Christ. They know who people are. They're not insane. They're smart. They're deceptive. In fact, they know the scriptures better than you and I, just without integrity and faith and love. But in Jude 8, there's this passage that kind of boggles our mind, and we don't know a whole lot about it, but here's what he says. Yet in like manner, these people, he's speaking of false teachers, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and, this is crazy, blaspheme the glorious ones. And then he gives an example. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing for the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So here's the most powerful angel in heaven, the war angel, Michael the archangel. There was evidently a dispute between Satan and the body of Moses with Michael the archangel and Satan. And Michael the archangel wasn't trash-talking Satan. In fact, he calls for God to step in and rebuke him and to stop him. And he's saying these foolish teachers, they reject authority. They scoff at the glorious ones, at demons, at Satan, as though there's no power there. They don't know anything about reality. Let me ask you this. In John 17, 15, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he's praying for his disciples. Here's one of the lines. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He specifically is praying that you and I are kept from the evil one who has deceptive power, him and his evil, uh, demonic uh, angels that, that follow his reign. In fact, in Luke 22, Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. He can. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. To be sifted like wheat would be to deny Christ, to quit trusting in him. But Peter's, like you and I, we don't think much of the spiritual warfare. And, and Jesus says, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. 
He knows he's going to have to turn again because he knows he's going to fall. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Peter, the, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. And then Jesus clues him in again. In Luke uh, 22, when he's in the garden, he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Peter, I prayed for you. Satan wants you. Now I'm praying you don't uh, enter into temptation. We look at Paul. He respects, and, and we know what happens with Peter. He does deny, but then he returns He repents and he strengthens his brothers, just as Christ said. Ephesians 6, this is the normal, everyday life of the Christian. Ephesians 6.10, finally, brothers, be strong, now get this, in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Why? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, not you. That's the point. You're not stronger than he who is in the world. You really want to be king of your own kingdom? You really think you're not a slave to sin and that you have control of your life? We don't. John 15, 5 says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. All right. One more I want to give you, and then we're going to get back on track. Matthew 13, 19. Did you know, this is, we, know, we got to take this serious. Did you know that every time you are listening to preaching, like right now, or reading your Bible, there's a spiritual battle going on for the rooting of that word in your heart? Here's what Jesus said. The parable of the seeds When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That surprised me when I read that. So even the one, the bird that snatches the seed and takes it away, this is the person that's hearing the word. That word is being sown into the heart but the evil one comes and snatches it away. Ought you pray before you come here preaching? 
in before and after you read the word? Is it true that this can happen? He says the one that it doesn't understand. Do you ever have weeks where you don't understand that Christ is to be on the throne of your heart and not yourself? We can be honest as Christians. What ought to be rooting up is the kingdom of God, this king, on the throne of our hearts, and yet it gets ripped away. But it seems so right. You know, the husband that's not being treated right by his wife and children to rather than self-sacrificially love her and them to say, you're not doing your job as a wife, you're disrespectful children, I'm done with you. That seems justified. You can find Bible verses to prove that. But yet, it's being, we're being fooled. Our king got his crown by dying. And if we're going to be a part of his reign, and you're going to glorify him, and you're going to be like him, then you're going to be able to love your enemies and die to yourself and serve other people. All this to show you, we take a little look into the demonic to help you understand the power of Satan to understand the reality of our lives. There's spiritual war going on all the time, all around us, in the heavenly places, up in space, down here on earth. But King Jesus shows up. Let's get back to our text. And this demon cries out in a loud voice, what have you to do with us? That's a question. Jesus of Nazareth. What are you to do with us? I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. You have come to dest- destroy us. I know who you are, another statement, the Holy One of God. Now, before the incarnation of Christ, we don't know very much about the demonic realm. After the resurrection of Christ and the very first apostles, just even a little bit with the apostles, we don't know a whole lot about the demonic realm. But when Jesus shows up and starts his ministry, we start to see it become visible. We get to see desperosity, I don't know if that's a word, in action. They get desperate. I felt like in Africa, I saw this. Uh, the, the first group of elders in this village that we were sharing with, Mark said, when you, when you get to the gospel, when you get to Christ, something's going to happen. A goat's going to knock over a table. You, it's just, trust me, it's different than it is in the United States. You're going to see. And so I get to that point, and these two teenagers on motorcycles pull up right next to the hut and start doing like 360s, making dust everywhere, just as loud as you can imagine. And when I'm laying in my tent that night, I couldn't believe it. I'm looking at Mark and he's just like, yeah, I told you. This is, this is what happens. I wrote in my journal, I said, I knew the devil was real and his demons are real, but now I know the devil's real and the demons are real. And that made sense to me. 
This is a place where the word of God has not been for thousands of years. They never had to worry about this territory. But all of a sudden, God's word shows up, and it's like they freak out. Desperate attempt. I think we're seeing some of that here. You see, I think how the devil usually works in religious areas is he comes as an angel of light. He comes to look like moral, legalism, upright, but really in rebellion to God's kingdom. But here, I think we see the demons freaking out. And they're asking, what are you going to do to us? Have you come to destroy us? You see, the demons know how to read the Bible. They know how to understand prophecy. They know that in Revelation 20, verse 1, it says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. Now remember that, the bottomless pit, in a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, and bound him for a thousand years, threw him in the pit, shut it, sealed it over him, that he might not receive, deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. Matthew 25, 41 says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So there's a pit, there's eternal fire for the devil and the angels. We read about that in Revelation 20, 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. So in Luke 8, now just track with me for a minute. In Luke 8, when Jesus runs into a demon, when, it, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. And then in verse 31, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding on the hillside. They begged him, let them enter these pigs. Here's what they're doing. They know that their doom is sure, just like Martin Luther did. He knew they knew that. And Jesus seems like he's ahead of schedule. Are you here right now to throw us into the abyss already? They do not want to be thrown into the abyss. Now learn, listen, before any man, before any disciple realized Jesus was the Christ, the demons did. And I'm here to tell you something. If they freak out when King Jesus shows up as rebels to him, and they're afraid of being thrown into the lake of the fire, in the abyss, then you and I should be afraid to be in rebellion to the kingdom of Christ. And this is what they are doing. They're screaming out. They're declaring. It's like even they have to tell everyone who he is. They hate him, but they have to announce him. But Jesus is not going to let them announce the kingdom. He's going to. And he's going to announce it by authoritative preaching, quoting prophets, 
and then displaying his power by his actions. Look at verse 35. But he rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And so, and so just like that, the demon is silenced and comes out of him and does no harm. And Jesus is doing what he told those in Nazareth he was going to do, give liberty to the captives and the oppressed. And he's putting his money where his mouth is, in a sense. He's showing that he has power over Satan's kingdom. He can come in and bind up the strong man and plunder his kingdom. Verse 36, they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with power and authority, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. You see, they have respect for unclean spirits. Unlike the Western church, they believe it's amazing when Christ does it. And reports about him went out into every place and in the surrounding regions. Can you imagine? <laughs> this is not your everyday Sabbath day at the synagogue. There was stuff happening there. <laughs> I mean, word's going to spread. And so they arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately rose and began to serve him. Now, he rebukes the unclean spirits, and they come out, and now the effects of sin, sickness, and disease, he rebukes it. It's like he's saying, curse, get out of here. And immediately she becomes well. Here's what we're going to learn from Jesus' healings. The physical therapists of Jesus' day were getting no action. All of them getting healed were strengthened right there in the moment. She was immediately able to serve. Those who've been paralyzed their whole life were able to go just like that and pick up their mat and walk. You know, it, it makes you wonder when you have all these false teacher charlatans going around who have healing ministries, and they have all these great claims where they speak with authority, but you don't have the same miracles. You don't have people without therapy getting up and walking. I'm sorry. Christ can heal. God can heal anyone at any time, but there is no person on the face of this earth that has the gift Christ has going around and healing everyone that comes to him. We don't have that. If you're sick, the elders will lay hands on you and pray for you to be healed, that God's will would may be done, but we recognize that the authority is in the sovereign Christ's hands. And our trust is in him. Look at verse 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. Now, here's why they waited till dark, because this is a Sabbath day. 
He just did amazing stuff in the synagogue. And everyone had to wait till the sun went down. And as soon as it did, just imagine the scenario. Any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons came out of many crying, you are the son of God. Can you imagine the scene? Here is Christ. I w- just, I hope we get to watch this when we get up there. Like just hit rewind and let us see what we read about. I want to I see what it's like when people see the king, the kingdom of God at hand coming upon them. Bringing everybody that comes gets healed. Unbelievable. That's why we pray that kingdom come. That's what's coming. It's going to be amazing. But once again, we see in verse 41, he rebuked them, would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Here's what Jesus was always battling throughout his ministry. The more he overcomes the curse, the more he heals, the more he provides bread, the more he casts out demons, they're going to try to take him by force and make him king. They're going to try to make him an earthly king to overthrow the Romans. They just want stuff from him. And so he's continually doing miracles and telling people, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. He's, got a, he's following his father's sovereign plan. And he knows that at the end of his three years of ministry, on the Passover day, he's going to die on the cross He's going to have a crown on his head and he's going to be fulfilling this good news that he's proclaiming. He's becoming your wonderful king that saves you from your biggest enemy, which is the wrath of God because of your sin. And so we see Jesus throughout his ministry. He's not letting the demons cry out. He's telling people not to say anything because he wants to spread this message, but he doesn't want to be brought and forced to be king as they do. And you can read about it in John 6. But I know we got to move here. Verse 42, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him, we're told in Mark that he prayed all night, sought him and came to him, and he would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, now get this. You'll miss the point of Christ's ministry if you don't hear this. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. The miracles were not the purpose. They were him demonstrating who he is. But what's important to the Father, what's important to Christ, the miracles show the compassion of God, the mercy of God, the power of God. But everybody needs to hear the kingdom of God preached. They need to hear about the king. They need to hear about how their sins can be forgiven. And this kingdom needs to go to other places. 
Now that's important because in a second we're going to consider what all, what all this has to do with us. And he was preaching in the synagogues in Judea. So he goes to all the other synagogues and does the same things. Now, in conclusion, I hope you're able to see Christ's authority in his preaching and in his words that turn into action as demons come out and as fevers leave and disease is healed. I hope you see how his kingdom must spread through preaching the good news. But I want you to consider your place in this kingdom. What does all this have to do with you? To end, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5.14. I want to show you something. You know, Simon's mother-in-law, it says she was healed and immediately began serving. And in a sense, that can be an illustration to what Christ does to us. When he forgives us of our sins, he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can take action. But in 2 Corinthians 5, here's how Paul is trying to explain his unusual actions, his unusual life of self-sacrificial love. Look at what he says in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this. One has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. Now get this, that. Here's, here's why he died for you. That those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died for you so that you can get off the throne of your own heart and you can quit living for your own self and your own pride and you could start living for his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Not only does Christ take away your sin and not only are you promised mercy and grace in Christ, but now you have the ability to immediately stand up and serve him in his kingdom. He rescues you from you, from your own sin-destructing ways. Now keep reading. From now on, therefore, we no longer regard, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't see people as people who sit on their own thrones. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, just in case you're wondering if you made yourself a Christian. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us something. Here's where you see your identity come on the scene. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You have a ministry, you're entrusted with a message 
that sinners can be reconciled to God. Now get this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for a king, right? Ambassadors speak on behalf of the authority of the kingdom. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's your new position. You're no longer on the throne of your heart, but now Christ is on the throne of your heart, and you go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other places. God making his appeal through us. You want to know how sinners get saved? When people who have been dying to themselves have Christ on the throne of their heart, appeal to them. God making his appeal through our mouths. Be reconciled to God. Look at this great king. What hope do you have without him? And then verse 21, if you're wondering what verse you're going to use, use this one. For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took what we deserved. He took sin upon himself and took the punishment and gave us righteousness, the righteousness of God, so that we can be reconciled to God. Not only to be ambassadors of his kingdom, but brothers and sisters with Christ in the kingdom of our heavenly father. It's unbelievable, the good news that showed up. And I just want to practically challenge you throughout the week. Every choice, every affection, every moment of where you're consciously thinking, what am I going to do or why did I do that? Simplify it down to who's on the throne here. Whose kingdom am I representing? If you're being wronged then, and Christ is on the throne, then you're able to die to yourself and return mercy where everyone else would have to give vengeance. It's amazing the power of the gospel in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this glorious Christ. Help us see his power, our great need for him to rule our hearts. Lord, we pray that your kingdom come. We can't wait till your glory covers the earth like the waters cover the seas. We can't wait for the time when justice and righteousness covers the land. We do pray your kingdom come. Our hope is in our king. Father, keep us. Don't let us be sifted like wheat. Don't let the word be rooted out. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.